think especially when it comes to something like parkour the kind of injuries that happen there is a kind of, I think common threads that occur and I'm not talking about physically common threads I'm talking about sort of mental or situational Themes, common threads. Right. and I think a lot of injuries happen when people are showing off and people are not concentrating or people are too tired in that moment where you're like oh I'm just going to do one more oh just one more <laughs> And it's in that moment, often, not every time at all, but often because you're tired, because you're like, oh, it's just the last one. You're probably not concentrating quite enough. And that's when it's just like, ah. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode number 92, Amy Slevin flow motion, pain, and routine. Not quite fitting in can seem negative, but it is what inspired Amy Slevin to create something new. She unpacks the role movement holds in her life and how she came to create flow motion yoga. Amy discusses her thoughts on pain and injury and particularly within parkour. She shares her personal routines, habits, and what she's been reading. Amy Slevin is an osteopath turned yoga instructor who teaches in London in the United Kingdom. She founded Flow Motion Yoga to help people feel better in their bodies while sharing her love of movement and playfulness. Amy also teaches workshops about movement, pain, and injury, and is passionate about empowering her students through both movement and mindset. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 92. Thanks for listening. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hey, I'm really good, thanks. How are sure. you? I'm very good. Thanks for taking the time. Morning for me, afternoon for you. One of the beauties of video calls is we don't have to coordinate quite so much. And I believe we almost had a chance to sit down when I was in London two years ago. There was conversation. So I'm sorry that I missed the chance when I was there. That's okay. God, that was not two years ago. That was... Was it one year ago? Yeah. I, maybe. It feels like two years ago. Maybe it was just one year ago. I, I know it was in May. Maybe it is coming up on one year. Yeah, time flies when uh, you're in denial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like to start by asking people, thinking back on your childhood, what role did movement play as you were growing up? Hmm. Okay. Well, I was like a sprinter when I was a kid. Okay. I loved sprinting. And I obviously did competitive sprinting for my school and whatnot so I loved that that was like my thing but I also loved like I remember like having summers or maybe just weekends you know who knows what the time scale is when you're a kid <laughs> of just like riding my bike up and down my road and it was just like I remember like bombing down the road and like pumping my way up the road again and like bombing my way down because I lived on a hill mm. and and I always wanted to dance and I remember going to dance lessons when I was probably I don't know seven or eight and thinking this is not what I thought it was going to be didn't really enjoy dancing at that stage but then went back to dancing when I was about 13 I guess and that's when I really kind of got into it and I spent every Saturday afternoon at Sylvia Young Theatre School learning to dance and then I started going to classes at Pineapple Dance Studios in London also when I was about mm, 16 and and so movement as I was growing up, kind of it evolved. So I kind of started off just, you know, playing and doing stupid things and then sprinting and then dance. 
And then obviously, how did you get into how'd you get into sprinting? Was that did you discover that in secondary school or no? At at, at primary school, they just entered the kids into and like an inter-school competition and you know made us race against each other and they thought I was pretty fast and so (laughs) just trying to get you to blow up off steam (laughs) (laughs) probably (laughs) so how did you get I'm always interested in the transitions that people manage to pull off and I lose track of most of the people that I talk to have created something. So I tend, I like, I read a lot about people and I go, oh, here's somebody who created a yoga studio. Here's somebody who started a dance program. Here's somebody who created a seniors program for parkour. <laughs> and sometimes I lose sight of the fact that most people don't do that. It's just, I'm, I'm interviewing this slice of active moving people. So I like yeah. to ask, and I like to try and dig into how did you get from uh, I'm going to say pretty clearly being a lifelong mover, anybody who was into bicycling and then dance and then sprinting. Yeah. How did you turn that into a love that you felt you wanted to create your own vehicle for? Uh, well, basically I, okay. So after all of that, the dance and everything, I then discovered parkour, loved parkour. And then after a few years of having worked in a normal job, and side, you know, doing parkour in my spare time. I then studied osteopathy. So I left my normal job, decided to study osteopathy. And during my osteopathy studies, I started going out with somebody who did yoga. Mm-hmm. He introduced me to yoga. And so I started doing yoga. But I never really felt like I belonged in the yoga world. And I just had this, you know, Why? deep well, love for parkour. <laughs> what was it about the yoga world that you felt you didn't fit with? Well, I guess I struggled to connect with a lot of the philosophy. And I, I kind of also had the impression, that like, basically, I started doing yoga. I succumbed because um, my sister had died shortly before. I was like, I was studying osteopathy. And my sister just died. And I had, there was like another kind of family thing going on at the same time. And I was just like, Ugh. Confluence, right? And then, yeah, and then Bertie, my boyfriend at the time, was like, "Why don't you try some yoga?" And I was like, "Boring," because I'd done it like I don't know twice about ten years previously. Anyway, this is a very long story, but I'm going to try and make it more succinct. <laughs> so I started doing yoga, never really connected with it. I, I, but I wanted it to like to help me. I wanted it to help with my anxiety, with my with my grieving and all that kind of stuff, and it just never did. But the physical side of yoga, I really connected with, and. You know, I found it quite, yeah, I kind of found it quite interesting exploring these different ways of moving my body in the yoga kind of capacity and seeing how that compared with uh, parkour. And then I started, I then completed my osteopathy studies, but never really wanted to be an osteopath. And I was like, shit, what am I going to do now? Because, you know, I've spent four years doing this, but I don't really want to do it now. But then I had been doing yoga during that time. And I was like, okay, well, how can I help people with the tools that I have? And the tools that I had were movement, yoga, and this vast bank of knowledge from the osteopathy. And so I just decided, okay, well, I'm going to kind of teach people yoga in a kind of way. And I never really committed to it because I was like, you know, I never really like connected with that yoga in that way. Do you know what I mean? So I felt like a fraud for a hot, like a long time. And because of that, because of me feeling like a fraud and because of me feeling like I wasn't really connecting with yoga and my love for parkour and loads of other different types of movement that I discovered also along the years, 
I was like, okay, well, how can I now marry all of these things together, bring in a bit of parkour experience with my yoga and develop something from that? And that's basically how Flow Motion was created. It was like, okay, well, let's just give myself permission to bring in movements from here, there and everywhere. And to bring in that kind of playful element that I really love from parkour and, and the diversity that, that was really that, kind of the thing. That, that leads to my next question is so clearly you've, uh, maybe you didn't set out to do it initially, but you clearly realized that you had to create something that was uniquely your own. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have that urge. It's almost like an itch that you can't scratch. And if you don't figure out what that is, it gets really annoying, but you mm-hmm. have done a good job of really being wise enough to, to steer away from the things that we're no longer calling to you because osteopathy is not a simple subject, but yet, you know, to not be hung up on the sunk cost, the amount of like time that you put into that. So can you tell me more about what your vision is for your, for your actual studio? So like, do you have a particular type of student that you're trying to serve or do you, do you revel in helping people figure out what they need or how, what does that look like when people come to you? Okay, well, I don't have like an actual studio. I mean, I teach privately one-to-one, but then I also teach in other people's studios. Mm-hmm. So I, I teach classes in other studios, but I teach privately in my own space. But basically for my classes, it's generally, I want people who love movement and I want people who are interested in sort of experimenting with new different ways of moving. Potentially they're people who are new to yoga. In fact, I love those ones because they don't come with any expectations. And so I can kind of just do some like weird stuff with them and say, okay, now put your foot over here and your hand over here. And they just do it. They don't ask, they don't even think like, is this yoga? (laughs) I love those ones. And then I get the occasional yogi who comes along and they're like, oh my God, this is so weird and different. And I'm discovering all different ways that I can move my body and I love those people too so I'm 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 like welcoming of the newbies and the experienced people and just people who love moving those are the people I want or people who are open to be converted to love moving do you find that um now I'm going to add this is kind of going on a limb but do you find that people <laughs> who are generally into yoga don't actually love movement mm. That's a question. <laughs> That's a good look. And hey, what happened to her video? <laughs> huh. Well, you know what? I think there are so many different types of yoga that there's almost, I dare say, something for everybody. There is the kind of the very meditative, non-moving kind, but then there are the people who love the physical and they want to go hard, you know, they want to just like push themselves really hard. They want to like sweat and then, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind. And I guess I'm more towards that end of the spectrum. I don't think I necessarily push people as hard as other types of yoga do in terms of like getting on a really like uh, aching body and a really kind of like sweaty kind of situation. I push people and I get them to do interesting things, but I'm definitely not at the kind of the mental kind of thing but yeah and those people would probably hate my classes (laughs) and that's okay that's okay. I, I would agree. That's definitely okay. Um, <laughs> I noticed that you're, that you're, as most people are, switching over to doing online courses because obviously the current local, the current topic, to. um, you know, affects that. And I've seen a lot of that, a lot of that happening. And I'm. It sounds like you weren't used to normally teaching, tell you know, tele teaching that way before. And I'm just wondering what challenges 
you might have found other than the obvious ones of like, you know, I can't, I can't see you, but like, are, are there, are there surprisingly different challenges that you found when you switched over to that? Well, interestingly, the week before I started doing my live classes, I was in Holland filming online classes for a company called Eckhart Yoga, which was a vastly different experience because that you're just like in a studio by yourself teaching nobody. Mm-hmm. And that is weird. Ooh, so then when I came to do my first Zoom class where I had real people, it was like the learning curve was enormous. Absolutely enormous. In that one hour, I learned so much about how to teach online, which was, I'm so grateful for that. Like that challenge and like seeing how me saying what I was saying, like giving the instructions and that kind of thing and seeing how people were interpreting them differently and like getting confused and being like, what the hell are you saying? (laughs) (laughs) That was like, okay. So I need to like be really clear with my instructions, even more clear than I would be otherwise. Because even though I'm demonstrating with some of these movements, they're they're having to like crane their neck properly, which when we're in a studio environment, I I make sure that I put myself where they can see me. Right. So if we're like turning this direction, I make sure I'm over there. If they, you know what I mean. And I can't. You, I just can't do that if it's online. Have you considered spinning up two devices? So run one device. <laughs> so I've done a couple of Zoom calls, and one thing you could try to do is I've had guests who've showed up with one device running video and one device driving the audio. You can put multiple versions of yourself in the call, so you could have a side view and a back view. I mean, like I don't know how many you could do before it got crazy, but you could totally have a bigger view and then something closer on the floor, so you'd be able to like talk to this camera for personal and this camera is always showing you the bigger picture just just a random thought okay but because well, the next question i want to ask all suggestions and in fact yesterday i was filming some stuff for youtube and i did have two cameras hmm. so i had one you know from, from one angle one from straight ahead but for the zoom yeah i'm open to doing that just a thought i, I was going to say yeah. what do you think you might be able to take from what you've learned doing telehealth teleteaching back out into the physical space Jeez, I haven't thought about that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm notorious for asking. Three months time. Um, <laughs> let me have a little pass. Think. You could just say pass. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's probably a good idea to think about it generally. Gosh, what can I take? Yeah, can I pass on that one? Yes, come you back can certainly take a pass. <laughs> I, let's, let's, let's do it this way. I also want to make sure that I don't spend all the time just grilling you with questions because I could just do that for hours. So okay. is there anything that you can think of that you were coming to our chance to talk today with like, oh, I want to make sure that I either get to X or I want to ask Craig why. If there's anything that pops to mind, mm-hmm. we can I can pass you the baton for a while. Well, I love talking about injuries and pain. <laughs> And I know that that's a real issue in the parkour. Well, not a real issue. It's a it's a, a thing that happens in the parkour world. Like people get injured. It's not exclusive to parkour by any means, but it's one of the subjects that I find really fascinating and also ongoing and long-term pain. I find them really interesting too. So, I mean, if you're happy to kind of go there. Yeah, I was going to say, why are you obsessed with pain? Mark Do you know why? <laughs> <laughs> Because as an osteopath, people come to you, and I remember being in a lecture 
of osteopathy and the the question that was being asked by this the lecturer was like why do people come to osteopaths and we all just sat there like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'd at least punt and say because they want help with something (laughs) well yeah but yeah and basically it all comes down to pain they're all like no one comes to you and says like oh i think that i have a leg length discrepancy and that's all they're like i think i have a leg length discrepancy and it's causing this to happen which is giving me issues and and pain right Mm. So everything in osteopathy, physiotherapy, chiropractic is generally related to pain. I mean, like, they're not, there are other examples as well, like digestive issues and that kind of thing. But on the whole, it's a musculoskeletal pain. Mm. And I think the reason I find it so fascinating is because in my second year of osteopathy, oh my God, we had to write an essay on the changes that occur locally and in the brain when it came to chronic pain. And I remember sitting there trying to write that essay and it was so difficult. And I remember just feeling it completely inept and completely just like, I have no idea. But it was also like not long after my sister died. So my brain just wasn't functioning properly. And so having that experience of that essay left a huge hole in my, I don't know what you call it, but like there was a void. I felt like I knew nothing. And all of the patients that I was seeing had long-term pain Mm. they were like very few of them were like oh it started last week these were people who had had it for years and that essay would have helped me to understand what was going on for them but i just couldn't get my head around that essay and then so i have to ask that i think yeah it sent me on a quest of trying to understand as much as i could about pain Mm -hmm. so that's why i find it fascinating and and i think pain is quite common you know, a lot of people are living with pain, whether they, I don't know, want to do anything about it or not. I think people, some people resign themselves to living with pain and some people are lucky enough never to have it. But I don't even believe in that. Like, I, yeah, I just, I'm like, everyone experiences true. pain at some point in their life. Yeah. Haven't you? Like, what yeah. injuries oh, have yeah. you had? Oh, well, going to the injury stories. Most, <laughs> okay, the most sustained pain I have ever dealt with was I was in a bicycle accident at one point in like high school, 11th, 12th, and I got road rash. I fell on, I got knocked down on the street. You know, I wasn't racing. I was just riding with friends and I got knocked down on the street in like cycling Lycra and I had road rash, like a square Ouch. foot of it up my hip and that hurt for weeks lay there and there's nothing you can do because it's like an open wound that has to heal oh it was horrible so that but that was sort of a manageable pain because it's like figuratively and literally a surface pain i've had a couple of good like earaches i have pretty bad hearing but i've had a couple of like ruptured eardrum type headaches how did you get that I just get an ear infection. I, I have um, allergies, seasonal allergies. So if you hear me go, uh-huh. <clears throat> it's just allergies. And if, you, uh, if you're not careful with that, you can get either bronchitis, like a bacterial infection from the, po- okay, let's get gross. Post-nasal drip can lead you to those lung problems. It's not going to kill you, but stuff. it's not yeah. pleasant. But if you happen to get that infection in your ear, then shit gets real. And I, I've learned enough that it's like, once you get it in your ear, going to the hospital doesn't help you. They'd be like, well, we can stick a needle in there and let the pressure out. I'm like, no, let's not. <laughs> so oh, I, really? I had one like- oh, I, I would love that. Like, uh, I had one like 15 years ago where I just- Basically, you can put a hot, like a hot towel on your head and then just hopefully the, you can get the swelling to go down so that your station tube will open up and drain naturally. But if you can't do that, eventually your 
eardrum just ruptures and it really freaking hurts. So that I, I've I've done I've done pain. I've done head injuries. I've done broke a finger and a foot one time. Oh, the foot hurt. I broke broke my foot like in a stupid physical education gym class like dodgeball kind of game. And one of those were like, as I was running, I fell down. And when I got up, I was limping. Like, what's up with that? I broke one of my metatarsals. <laughs> yeah, broke it clean. And the only th- the great thing about that story is I went home to my mom and dad, you know, like hobbled home. And, and, I, and it was weird. I could walk like on the outside edge of my foot. So if I everted my foot all the way, I could, it would bear weight, but it wouldn't flat no way. Because as soon as you flex, the, it was like the second or third one. As soon as you flexed it, yeah. no go. So I like hobbled home. My, my parents were like, well, if you can walk, no big deal. So I sat home for like two and a half days waiting for that to go away and it didn't. And then eventually my mom took me to the emergency room to get an x-ray. Ironically, the day that the Challenger shuttle exploded, we were sitting in the ER waiting for an x-ray as the Challenger blew up on the TV screen and my foot is aching. Perfect. At what least you're entertained. Heck? No, that was not entertaining. <laughs> was okay. That one, that so one bad choice it was. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I know, I know what you mean. At least I was distracted, but yeah. Yeah. So I was glad I wasn't in school for that. But anyway, it broke my foot. Yeah, I've had I've had a couple of good like stomach flus. Those are always brutal when you have like an internal deep pain. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then it often refers up to your right shoulder. Maybe not stomach, but uh, appendixes do. Yeah, sometimes you get like, or if you have like uh, a stomach pain, it like shoots up to your left shoulder. Like, well, I guess those nerves go, the ne- go right next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> or the other one is... Um, like your foot and your by your ear, it's like sometimes if you get a pain in your foot, my you get an itch in your ear. It's like it's funny when you see referent things happen like that, or maybe it's just Whoa. me. I mean, my nerves could all be twisted for all I know. <laughs> I didn't know about that one. Sounds maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm fascinating. Wrong. Maybe I'm entirely wrong. Lots okay. Say I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> well, now now I'm going to go and Google it afterwards. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to send you in the Google rabbit hole. No, that's what? fine. So we, we started into this talking about pain. So if yeah. you were, I, I don't want to, I'm always said it, I want to say if you're fascinated by pain, because that makes it sound like it's really bad. But if you're fascinated by pain, do you manage to bring that into your current practice? Like, do you find that people, or, like, do they come to you and say, like, hey, I got this pain? Or do they show up and then you notice, hey, it looks like you're in pain? Like, how does that play out in your practice? No, yeah. It was very, a very deliberate kind of thing. So when I knew that I didn't want to be an osteopath and that I thought, okay, well, maybe let's teach some yoga. I very specifically marketed myself as someone who can help you through yoga, someone who can help your pain or whatever with yoga. Mm. And so, and I still do that, you know, so I, the, not all of my private clients have any kind of physical issue. And uh, I just think, yeah, like half of them do, half of them don't. And so, yeah, some people, you know, came to me a lot of in the beginning especially a lot of people came to me for specifically kind of help with injuries and then it kind of developed into people who just wanted to do yoga and that's funny actually now that I think about it because as I was like okay now I want to branch into people who just want to do yoga it actually happened never thought about that until now so yeah I kind of created that little kind of idea and then I brought them in I kind of manifested them if we want to use that kind of fluffy language So yeah, so now I guess I work with people who do have specific injuries or not even injuries, like, you know, osteoporosis is a common one and other people who just want to move. And I love all of them. Do you have any, this is pretty general, but do you have any insights on pain that you'd want to share with, I'm going to just give you some context to skate off of, go where you will, but do you have any insights on pain that you'd want to share with athletes who are in the parkour vein? Yeah, (laughs) I think 
especially when it comes to something like parkour, the kind of injuries that happen, there is a kind of, I think, common threads that occur. And I'm not talking about physically common threads. I'm talking about sort of mental or situational Themes, common threads. Right. And I think a lot of injuries happen when people are showing off and people are not concentrating or people are too tired. And that moment where you're like, oh, I'm just going to do one more. Oh, just one more. And it's in that moment, often, not every time at all, but often because you're tired, because you're like, oh, it's just the last one. You're probably not concentrating quite enough. And that's when it's just like, ah, you do the jump, you do whatever it is. And you just run out of steam or yeah. And, and showing off, I think is a big one. Yeah. And kind of, or even like pushing yourself in face that I have an Instagram post specifically about this <laughs> coming up, but yeah, like pushing yourself beyond your abilities and not listening to your body is a huge one. Not listening to your body and not knowing when to stop and not knowing when to, and it's tricky in any kind of sport or exercise situation where you're listening to an instructor or if you're kind of with other people and your body is saying like, oh, I'm not sure about this. But then, you know, you've got like, oh, the kind of like, oh, come on, you can do this, that kind of vibe. And then you kind of think, oh yeah, I can do this. And then actually shit, no, I can't. Do you know what I mean? And then that's often when exactly an injury what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what you mean. Do you have any- And it's really tricky. I was just like, um, do you have any insights about, okay, I would totally agree with you that I once saw it described as like, it's like going off the high dive. Like, you know, when you're on the ladder on the high dive, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad, but there's people behind you, you know, and you get to the top and you're like, no, wait, I've changed my mind, but there's 80 people behind you. You can't, you know, off you go. It's like really hard to be thinking far enough ahead to make that decision at the very beginning. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how, so suppose somebody who's listening goes, ooh, you know, maybe I'm of that age group where I tend to drink the positivity in the group and then I head off and <laughs> you know what? I wind up, you know, bruising my foot or something. So are there, are there any tips or ideas you have about how somebody who thinks they might be susceptible, they're kind of person who doesn't listen to their body? Well, like what can they do other than listen to your body more? Like any tips? Okay. I hear you. This I think, are you talking about sort of like youngish people? Well, I don't want to be ageist, but yes. <laughs> okay. Well, let, okay. Well, we can put it a different way. So Seb Foucault has a kind of a way of describing different sort of mentalities, Ages, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So you know about his age of this, age of that, age of... Yes. Okay. So it's age of fire, right? Where you're mm -hmm. like, oh, it's so cool. I'm so full of energy. I want to try everything. I want to throw myself around. I've been there. And like, I was age of fire until like 25 minutes ago. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> until relatively recently, right? And the universe, or I don't know what it is, karma or something will come along. If you don't regulate yourself, the universe will regulate you for you. Do you know, for you. Mm, I don't yes, know if that makes any sense. Yes, concrete and so is hard, you, reality is objective. <laughs> yeah. And so if you choose not to listen to your inner voice, or listen to your body, whatever, or your intuition, or whatever it is that's saying, don't do this. Then, or if you're like, oh, if you if you hear it and you're like, if you kind of choose to be like, oh, you know, whatever, I can. Oh god, my battery's low. Then, then you're going to get a repercussion, potentially. Not every time, but there's a potential repercussion. So, if you 
And if you choose to kind of succumb to the peer pressure, well, you're going to get your ass whipped by something. I'm wondering, given deep thought to like how, I hesitate to say, how do you teach this idea to people in the age of fire uh, tangent? If you're listening and you don't know about, uh, we're saying Seb, so if you don't know about Sebastian Foucault or his (laughs) ages of, it's actually not his original idea, but he talks a lot about it. There are actually a series of three Movers Mindset podcasts where he talks about this stuff in depth. And when last I talked to him, I believe he had not yet written a book. But anyway, you can certainly find, Seb has a YouTube channel where he talks about these at length. So if you're you're going, wait, what are we talking about? Go do your homework. Okay, so now that you're back. If you're, I had never thought about trying to teach to someone like, cause I'm not age of fire, no, but I had never thought about like, I'm okay, that's fine. You're age of fire. I'm not, that's cool. But I had never thought about maybe trying to like help those people understand what the other ages might be like. So my thought that I had while you were talking is, I wonder if suggesting to people to just be aware of those who are in different ages. And we're not talking about, you know, for everybody listening, we're not talking about age, how many tree rings we're talking about, which age of life you're in. So if you see somebody in the group who makes a decision that looks different from how you would make decisions, we might be able to just say to people, start noticing that. And then you will see, wait, that person approaches fear differently or that person approaches challenges differently. You don't have to learn anything in particular from them, but you might realize there are other ways, these other ages, other ways of experiencing training, growing, learning. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. That's me just thinking through my top of my head. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it is quite tricky because... If you have, I don't know, a 22-year-old who feels invincible, like... Well, first of all, he probably is. Like, you know, I always joke, little kids are made of rubber. I mean, you can just... Bah, they fall out but and get up But it's true. Like, bleed. yeah. Like, sometimes, I'm, you know, Seb and I watch these videos and we're just like, these kids are doing these <laughs> extraordinary things. And, and they like, walk away. Like, what? Oh, oh wow. I'm going, um, what's a broken pelvis oh feel like? Oh, you know, like <laughs> Yeah, and like just the way that parkour has changed in the last maybe five years, even. Wow, and and trying to tell one of those guys, like maybe this is a bit dangerous. They're gonna be like, "Oh, piss off, grandma." Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like they're not interested in hearing it. There's a reason why I'm doing it my way, and I I understand and I appreciate why you know to the twenty something why you're doing it your way. That's great. This is why I'm doing it my way, and. Like, cause what, you know, I don't want to say what goes around comes around. I mean like, yeah, everybody's going to go through these ages, these seasons. So. Exactly. And even now I'm 38 years old. I still have people saying to me, Oh, you do parkour. Isn't that dangerous? <sighs> you know, and I'm not age of fire anymore. I can't remember what the actual thing is, but <laughs> I'm like age, the age where I'm like, I still want to do some fun stuff. Well, and I want uh, to push myself a little fire, bit. Uh, yeah, it's uh, fire, water, <laughs> air, and wind. No, air and, oh gosh, even I have to go look Yeah, the kind of more mature one, but I'm not quite in the, like, the most mature category just yet. What we've both forgotten is the first age is age of roots. So it's fire is the second. <laughs> so I'm like, why doesn't Very this work? Good. Because there's, a, there's yes. age of roots is first. And we've like, you and I have completely ignored that one. <laughs> Age of fire is second and age of fire is the period of your life, the season of your life where you're actively carving your path through the world. It's like the best description I've heard of it in a sense. Nothing wrong with it. It's totally legit. It's a great, it's how things get done. And then the third age is age of water, which if you want to know what that is, go read anything by Bruce Lee. Be water, my friend. That's age of water. And then age of air or age of wind. <laughs> my brain just went age of flatulence. <laughs> the, the, that age is... 
sort of more of a, of a classical philosophical point of view. So yeah, those are the four ages roots. I'm like, what's, where's the fourth oh, one? Bravo. Roots, well fire, done. We got there eventually. There. Yeah. <laughs> Seb, would, Seb would yell at me, you know, you, Craig, you should know the I source material. You should know it's from. Yeah. <laughs> I figured out eventually without having yeah. to reach for my notes. <laughs> well um, done. Yeah. And um, I'm being told that, yes, episodes 16, 18, and 20 from season two are Seb. Okay. Wow. Um, impressive. Yeah. He's, he's a blast. I mean, and you're, I don't know exactly where you are, but he's right in London. So you, you have the advantage. I know. <laughs> it's a little harder. Okay. Where were we before I derailed us with roots? Oh, about trying to encourage people who might be age of fire to kind of rein in yeah, I, I would I would push back against trying to like I would push back oh, against trying yeah. to encourage people to rein it in. Don't rein it in, you know, do your own thing. But I would encourage them, push them towards being aware that there are other ages and that and again, the, those seasons, like just be aware of that. Well, yeah. And I think, you know what? Generally with parkour, one thing we tend to learn is that I think a lot of people are very good at regulating their movement in in relation to what they mentally feel capable of doing. Mm. And I mean, I, I, maybe I'm not being realistic, but I, I'd like to think that that is something that naturally occurs within parkour. Like sometimes like a newbie comes along, they've never done parkour before and they just do some massive enormous jump that I would never even think about doing. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> but apparently their body knew. And so right then <laughs> they know that it's within their physical capabilities. And so they don't even think about it. They just go. Whereas, you know, someone like me might look at them, oh, oh no, not for me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you past the T. <laughs> so I kind of think, you know, the environment tends to lend itself towards self-regulation a little bit. And and if you don't self-regulate, then as previously discussed, you will be regulated by the environment. Karma's a bitch, yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. Or like, you know, you might know that like, okay, well, this thing is, is risky. I'm aware of what the, the risks are and I'm prepared to take those. And I'm prepared to, you know, I think there was a, a massive jump that Kai Willis did, I can't remember when, a few, many years ago. And it was in Waterloo, huge. And he prepared for it for hours. I think it was like a cat, uh, no, a, a Kong to cat or something. I can't remember. It was enormous. Mm. And he, he spent hours like calculating that move until he was ready to do it. And I think, you know, he, he did it and he was fine. So I think that kind of process is just one of the things that happens within parkour, hopefully. Terrific. Um, you know, and, you gonna... take that, and he knew that if he didn't make it, that's what I was meant to say, uh, he knew that if he didn't make it, then it was like game over. Mm. Serious consequences. And it was a risk that he was prepared to take. Completely different direction. Not, to, okay. not that I want to stop talking about that, but like other things I wanted to try and get to. Yeah. You, especially because you have a history in osteopathy, you strike me as someone it's who- It's a very brief history. <laughs> let's okay, just, let's, let's, take a, let's take a it's show of hands. History. How many people have gone to osteopathy school? You uh, have. Ooh. I have. Right. Like the vast majority okay. of people have not gone anywhere near that. So, so given that you have okay. a history in osteopathy, it seems to me yeah. that you'd be someone who's particularly self-aware about self-care and like routines. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you've discovered recently, especially because we're all like lockdown, anything you discovered recently that you've slotted into your routines or things you've started doing that, that you feel are really helping you maintain your 
personal health and your personal mental state? During lockdown? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for something. Well, it doesn't be lockdown specific, but I'm or looking for something fairly life. recent, like something that you've discovered fairly recently. One thing is, this is just so basic, and I think a lot of people do this anyway, is having water within the first 10 minutes of waking up. Mm, guilty. And it's something that I used to do without even thinking about it. I used to have a glass of water next to my bed, and I used to drink it when I woke up. Not like mm. screw it, but you know, I'd be conscious, and then like, okay, it's time to drink. And I stopped doing that for ages, and... I started doing it again recently and it just perks me up mm. like, Ooh, I'm ready to go. Almost like a cup of coffee, but I don't, I don't drink coffee. So I don't actually know what happens with coffee. I've never had it. So, <laughs> but I think it might be the same. So that, and doing little, one of my kind of mental people refers to this as movement snacks, which is basically keeping moving throughout the day. And so while I'm, for example, I'm not going to do it now, but, you know, if I'm doing a lot of sitting down, I've been doing a lot of sitting down, sitting like more down. sitting down in the last two weeks than I ever have. Mm-hmm. That's not true. But like just little bits of movement, you know, through your head and your neck throughout the day, right. reaching your arms up Thoracic. and doing, yeah, you know, like little teeny tiny bits of movement throughout your day are really helpful for kind of joint health, uh, circulation, breathing, all sorts of benefits come from, and like mental benefits as well. Like it increases the blood flow to your brain, which then helps you become more mentally productive. Yeah, active, right? And so like <laughs> another thing I've been doing during the lockdown is while I'm working, you know, this is no real revelation. A lot of people do this, like have a standing desk or if I'm sitting down, I'll make sure I stand up, shake my legs out a little bit. I might do some like kettlebell squats while I'm reading something on the computer mm. or while I'm like thinking about something, I'll do some kettlebell swings or like any other kind of like random movement, just like not loads. It's not like a whole workout. It's just like, right. okay, one step done. Okay. Carry on doing a lot. Yeah. That's, I would definitely agree with that. R- random bite-sized movement is definitely, definitely healthy generally and super healthy when you're spending a ton of time sitting as I do. I often, like I, I generally go around barefoot all day and I, I live in a, a house in a small neighborhood. So like I could just like go out the door, two more doors and I'm outside and just like walk around in the grass or something. Just, wow. just to walk around quick, just to like yeah. move. And I know that's a, a a privilege, like something I'm super lucky to have access to or there's like mountain trails nearby. So where, where I'm living, the state that I'm in, we have a, what do they call it? A, uh, it's, it's basically, we're not, it's not that we aren't allowed to leave our houses, but you're only supposed to be you're supposed to go in somewhere in particular, like going to the store. I'm going to exercise or I'm walking the dog, but generally trying to stay indoors. It's not quite stay at home order. <laughs> I'm, I'm, somebody, I'm cheating. I have somebody in chat like telling me, to, you know, here's the time. <laughs> Thank you, my outbrain. All right, I'm just watching the time go. So we're at 40 minutes. Um, anything else that you want to talk about in the last five minutes? I don't have a question that goes on the end because it's too hard to stop when we want to stop. So we just have a few minutes left. Okay. Oh, I can't think of anything. We can do all kinds of random things. Ice cream or yogurt? I mean, it just depends. That's a valid answer. Um, <laughs> are there any, what's the last book that you read or, you know, currently reading? Ooh. Oh, okay. Well, I, it's okay. It's still a current book. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. You got it. Is it right behind you? Oh, stop it. find it without even, oh, wrong stack. It's on the top of this stack. I like it. I, I, it's the wrong one. Yeah, that's one that I just kind of read around and around and around in. Yes. Yeah. Great book. 
yeah exactly and I have to say I'm like I don't read quite as much as I would like to I think that's probably the case for most people but for me like reading is an absolute luxury and I find that you're able to actually I find I can't sit and read I sit and I start reading and then I'm like oh, I get an idea and I have to like I go like five pages on almost anything that I'm reading and then I'm forced to go do something on that so do you try and sit there and read through and trust that the stuff will percolate back up later <laughs> no it's more like allowing myself to actually sit down and read mm. because it feels like a guilty pleasure. Like it feels like, Oh shit. Like I should be something doing something business specifically business yeah. related. You know what I mean? Something and so if I'm not doing that, it's just like, Oh, terrible guilt. Even though I know that reading helps you do the productive businessy things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult. We could just put a mirror here. You could just run your own therapy session with yourself and just pretend you're talking <laughs> to somebody else. So you have all the right answers. I think you've got it all figured out. Oh, I know. But I think, sorry, just to say about the Victor Frankl book. Oh, go, go, go. A Man's Search for Meaning. I think everybody should be reading it right now. And also The Diary of Anne Frank. I haven't read that um, one yet. Yeah, those two books. Obviously, I read that when I was 10 or whatever. But for Corona time reading the diary of Anne Frank I think puts things in perspective and you know that was a family that was in a home in a in a small space for uh, 700 and something days I think or 600 and something days a long time knowing that if they were found that they would be killed and here we are kind of even though we had we don't have like a, a, an actual end in sight but we still have kind of enough liberties that we can leave the home and not feel that we're going to be killed. Right. So I think that could potentially help put things in perspective. And also just for any situation, your internal experience is what's most important. So you can be, and I think another really good example is there are people who go into a cave to meditate for a period of time. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, weeks or months. Okay. They go into a cave and there's no light. And I think someone gives them food every day, but there's no communication with the outside world. And then there are people who, for example, in prison are, set, are sent to the hole. And it's more or less the same experience. They're in darkness. Someone brings them food once a day. It's probably crap food, but they're by themselves. There's no communication with the outside world. <clears throat> and the mental experience of those two things I think is really fascinating. And I think that just teaches us that whatever your situation is, whatever the circumstances are, how you interpret those things and how you perceive them is the most important. So, Absolutely. yeah. I'm and chuckling because there are, you can't see there's a wall over here, which is metal and magnetic. And the yeah. most recently put up note card is between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Victor exactly. Frankl. <laughs> like it's from, hey. the, it's from that book. <laughs> like it's exactly yeah. the idea. Exactly. And I think that we do have the capacity to choose. And I think a lot of people think that they don't, but we absolutely do. And even And sometimes it just is a question of, shifting your expectations of what you expect from the world and what you expect from yourself from other people 
And I think that can also set you free. And I think we're often a, a kind of prisoners of our own making, yeah. regardless of our circumstances. If, for example, we think that life should be different or if we think that someone should behave a different way. So, yeah, like manage your expectations. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great thought to end on. That's a positive idea and some great reading suggestions i think we'll just stop there it's always, it's always hard to stop okay, okay. to say it's terrific so yeah um, amy it was a pleasure to get to talk to you i'm sorry we had to wait an extra year to do it no that's okay i'm sure at some point i'll be back to london maybe we'll meet up in person at some point awesome okay terrific. thank you so much You're i really welcome. enjoyed it. all right wave yeah. bye